0: Howdy, everyone, and welcome to Rough Talk with Al the Dog Trainer. I'm Al Longoria, and I'll be your host today. You can expect several things from this podcast. Rough Talk is going to be a series of audio experiences covering my day-to-day interactions with my clients and their dogs, as well as content from my live shows and anything else I can think of that may bring you value. It is my hope that this content will help you raise a happy and reliable dog. Welcome to episode number two of Rough Talk. In this episode, you're going to be hearing the audio from episode number 42 of Ask Al. Now, during that episode, I covered a variety of topics. I covered what's the next step after the treat toss game, how do you train your dog to protect you, what's been my biggest challenge in potty training, and what's the key to getting dogs to come reliably. So all that is coming up next. Hey, if you have any questions, don't forget to hit me up on Twitter. My handle is at AlTheDogTrainer. Hey, hope you enjoy the episode. Have a great one. Talk to you later. My name is Al Longoria. I'm a dog trainer here in the Houston area. I've been training dogs uh, for 14 years. I've been doing it for prof- uh, professionally for very close to, uh, very close for a decade now. Um, I've, been, I've done a lot of things from that time. I've helped uh, start puppies for sports, uh, for dog sports. I've helped uh, people just get basic obedience on their dogs. Uh, we've trained reliable recalls. We've trained people how to use clickers, how to use remote callers, uh, remote callers. Just a whole bunch of different things. But this show is really a way for me to try to bring as much value as I possibly can to each and every one of you guys that's watching this by answering questions. If you're watching this in the future, one of the cool things that you're going to be able to do is you're going to be able to go down in the description below and Mandy is actually going to watch watch this again tomorrow, or maybe Gracie's doing that tomorrow. But sometime after the live filming of this, they're going to go down and they're going to put the time marker for each one of the topics that I'm going to be uh, be, be going over tonight. So that way, if you're if you're watching this and you want to see a particular thing, look down in the description. You'll see the, uh, you'll see the number there that you can scroll over, or if you're on a computer, you'll be able to click to that. And you'll be able to go directly to be able to get the help instead of having to watch the hour-long show. With that being said, hey, could, could you watch the hour? I'd really appreciate it. I guess we're going to get started with that. So, Mandy, uh, what is question number one?
1: Okay, number one is what's the next step after the treat toss game?
0: So for those of you guys that don't know, the treat toss game is a game and we've got several videos. I've got a video coming out here in the next couple of days. We've had videos the past few weeks, but the treat toss game is essentially what you hear, what you hear it called. You throw a treat at the front door and your dog goes running for that treat. When they put that singular treat in their mouth, you're you're going to time saying their name or your come command. And so then They turn around because the door is going to make them turn around and you shake your hand and make them run back through your legs. So it's a really fantastic game to set a foundation for your dog. And you can go back uh, on the channel, on Facebook, maybe even on some of uh, Instagram, you can see videos of that. So what is the next step? Okay, so the next step after the treat toss game is a two-step process, okay? So what I do next is I begin to play with my dogs with a ball on a string. So I take the ball on the string, the dog is playing well, they'll bite it, they'll tug with it. I'm not asking them to bring it back, but they're really just engaged with the ball. So the first step that I'm going to take beyond the treat toss game is I'm going to teach the dog to run through my legs when the ball is behind my back, obvious to the dog behind my legs. And as they run through my legs, I'm just gonna toss the, the ball maybe two or three feet out in front of me and then see my dog run after it and then lavish them with praise and petting. And then I'm gonna begin to repeat that step over and over and over again. I'm never really gonna be trying to ask them to come back with the ball per se, but what I do want them to do is I want them to go through my legs so that way that will make me throw the ball. Once I've actually got several hundred repetitions of the dog going through my legs to get the ball, this is where I introduce step number two, which is two ball. So in two ball, what I do is I have two balls. I will throw one, away from me, maybe five, 10 feet at the, in the beginning, maybe at my front door. As my dog goes down to grab that ball, I'm gonna have the second ball behind my back, visible to the dog. And so when the dog turns, they'll see that ball between my legs and then the dog will come running back. Most of the time they come running back with that ball in their mouth. They let go to grab the ball that's behind my back. I make the miss, I throw that ball away, and then I begin to cycle them going out and back. It sounds pretty simple, it does take some patience and you wanna make sure that you've actually taught your dog to go through your legs to get the ball before you you actually start trying to throw two at a time. But two ball is a great step to be able to help your dog after you've gone through several weeks of treat toss game. All right, so that's it for the next step after treat toss game. Okay, what's next?
1: Uh, Someone asked, why do you not let your four-month-old puppies play with other dogs?
0: Yeah, this is a really good question. People say, like, well, hey, dogs really need to play with other dogs. And I wholeheartedly agree. If you think about it, you know, dogs, you know, a puppy, a puppy is probably playing with other puppies from week two after their birth all the way up till they're about eight weeks old. Or maybe they stay with a breeder or stay with the breeder a little bit longer. So your dog is playing for six continuous weeks with other dogs. Now yes, those other dogs are its litter mates. But then what I do is I get my dogs to play with my pack members from the time I get them at eight weeks until they turn 16 weeks. So then they get a whole nother eight weeks of being able to play with the other dogs in my pack and they're also playing with me. If you think about it, 16 weeks of training of playing with other dogs, in my opinion, that's sufficient. That's plenty of playing for the dog to do. And the reason that now I don't let them play because over the course of the next 20 months, I want to develop a play relationship with those dogs that they really understand that I am the best person or the best choice to play with. Regardless if your dog is going to play fetch or play tug or any of the other games that you can play with your dog, I really want the dog to understand that, hey, playing with me is the best thing. Because here's the real reason, okay? At some point, every dog is going to decide to not come to you when you've asked them to do so. And if that's the case, all right, I, I'm going to tell that dog no. And this is somewhere probably when they're, you know, you know 12 months old, 12, 14 months old. I'm going to tell them like, hey, you do have to come. But then they're going to be able to see the difference in their choice that, hey, coming back to you has always been this really amazing thing. But if I choose not to, I get in trouble. And that's really the reason why I take the play away from my puppies at four months old, because I really want them to understand how amazing it is to play with me on a daily basis. And look, you know, you don't necessarily have to go as far as I do from four months to 24 months, but I bet you that if you were to do that from the time that your puppies are four months old to the time that they're a year and they only get to play with the humans, the people in your family, you're going to develop some really great obedience because they're really gonna, they're, the dogs are going to really look to you for the most meaningful thing that they can do, which is to play. Okay, what's next?
1: All right. How many times should I let my dog bark before telling them to be quiet?
0: You know, this is a question that I've run across, and actually, uh, this wasn't a question that it was asked, but it's one that's kind of in my head a lot. And you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you guys right now. I don't necessarily have an answer about like how many times should you let a dog should you let a dog bark. So, like Mandy in your home, like if somebody like if something's going on outside, how many times are your dogs allowed to bark?
1: So I give them a little more lenient when they're barking at something that they hear outside of the fence. It doesn't happen often. Okay. And so, but I don't like to disturb my neighbors. So I don't really like barking.
0: So what is it? Like, you know, like, So I would
1: say, I mean, if I had to count barks, I would yeah, say right? like maybe like eight, like no more than 10.
0: You know, and like, I think that's a good number. You know, the, the number that was in my head and it's, and it's lower. I had five to eight. I had five to eight barks in my head as the number of barks that I'm going to like. Now, look, I'm going to tell you right now, and, and you probably know, I, I'm not counting barks. Probably when I'm in a training session with you guys, I probably am counting barks because I think it's important to know where the limit is, but you're going to feel your own frustration and your own annoyance, and that's going to be a good telltale sign right. about when is it time to actually be able to tell your dog that, hey, you, you need to stop you need to stop barking, Okay. Now, this isn't a question about how do I stop barking, but how many are actually allowed. Here's one thing that I also think about when I'm considering telling my dogs not to bark. If I'm not home, okay, I generally don't care because I'm not there how many times my dogs are going to bark. But, like, Mm -hmm. I have some empathy now, and as I begin to think about this, like, some of you guys, y'all live in apartments, and if your dog is constantly barking, you're going to ha- you're going to have some problems or if you have neighbors that are really really cl- mm-hmm. really really close, you're going to have you're going to have some problems. So, I think it's maybe a good rule of thumb and I'm not saying that this is the definitive number that you need to do, 5 to 10. 5 to 10 barks before you get to tell your dog that hey, that's that's too many barks. There's too many barks. Mm-hmm. And then you, you do need to teach them the meaning of the word quiet. We've got other videos on teaching that, and I've talked about it before in some of these live question and answer shows. But yeah, there, there can't be too much excessive barking. One thing that I like to practice in in regards to you know stopping the dogs from excessive barking is a calm state of mind inside of my home. If my dogs can't be cal- you know, calm under my command. I don't mean like they're just calm on their own, but calm when I ask them to become calm, then this whole barking thing can begin to get out of hand. And I'll tell you, like tonight, as I was putting up the questions for the show, there was probably seven questions about barking. And so calmness, teaching your dog to become calm using the place training or even just using a leash and helping them to understand to become calm is a good way to go about that. But yeah, five to 10 is probably... I would think it's probably a fair number. Okay. All right. So what's next?
1: How do I build confidence in my small breed dog?
0: Small breed dogs can be notorious for those types of dogs that you're out walking and you see the little Schnauzer, the Chihuahua, the Shih Tzu, any of these dogs, and all of a sudden you're walking and they're coming up and some of them will pretty aggressively come and nip at your heel and then you mm-hmm. turn around and they walk away and you're like, "Well, isn't that isn't that confidence?" I'm like, "No, that is anything but confidence. That is, you know, that's being territorial is mm-hmm. generally what it is and territorial is a defensive behavior and it is driven by fear. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily a bad thing in and of itself, but, you know, fear Too much of it and unbridled can definitely be a problem that you don't want to have. So a lot of building confidence into small breed dogs is by starting slow and by starting low. And and here's what I mean by that. If you ever watch any of the videos that I do with the majority of our dogs, which we deal a lot with large breed dogs, is we're standing up at our full height and The dogs, you know, a lot of the large breed dogs, they're more than willing to jump on humans, crowd our space and do things like that. But a lot of small breed dogs and also some large breed, but a lot of small breed dogs, when you stand up, they tend to run away from you because your body is exuding pressure and the dog is beginning to move away at that. Mm -hmm. So what I mean by starting slow and low, and this is a place I like to use a treat toss game, is I actually sit on the floor. Um, I'll put my back maybe against the wall, but I'll have my legs out. And as I have my legs, legs out, I'll have those pieces of food and I'll just begin to toss food away from me and then really kind of coax the dog with a trail of crumbs, a trail of treats or their kibble as they come back into my personal space. And then I begin to do that with them. But as I'm doing that, I'm also having them drag a slip leash or something like that, some kind of pressure tool that's on them. So I I begin to play the treat toss game. And then as they begin to get good with just being in my personal space, I begin to show the dog how to go through my legs and also how to spin and how to twirl and then also how to find heel position. And so I think that if you start really low to the ground, you start going slow, you use their daily meals, you can quickly begin to build confidence in these small breed dogs. One thing that that I've learned over the years and this is just a generalization. You're, this might not apply to your small breed dog. But one thing that I've noticed small breed dogs is I don't do a lot of clicker training with small breed dogs because they tend to be more sensitive to the nose phobias. Like the clicker goes off and the dog's like, whoa, I need to get away from that. So I really like to use the, my calming voice to be able to help them to do that. So, okay, what, what's All right. what's next?
1: All right, how do I get my dog to stop jumping on my husband?
0: You know, this is a really, this is a really tricky one. I'm training with a couple of folks right now that, uh, have a small breed dog and they also have, uh, and the husband comes home and the husband just loves, loves, loves the small breed dog. Mm -hmm. And man, like the whole moment, like the, like the moment that the the car drives by to get to the garage, which is in the back of the house and the dog can see it, it's sheer pandemonium. Like it mm-hmm. really is, and like and like the other day, like we timed it from the moment uh, from the moment that I arrived because I also get the dog excited, uh, or any company gets the dog mm-hmm. excited. It took seven minutes to calm the dog. Seven. Mm-hmm. But the good thing was, is it was the first time that we were actually teaching the dog how to come down out of the excitement. So we had to we had to practice seven minutes of calm, assertive patience on our part to bring like and seven minutes is no joke to be calming to be calming a dog. And if you're wondering how we punished the dog or how we got the dog to stop doing that, well, the punishment that we use is frustration. And frustration of all the punishers, which I I love using frustration, took seven minutes. When you use frustration to drive out any behavior in a dog, it's gonna take you longer periods of time than some of the other forms of punishment that are out there, okay? Uh So yeah, so how do you get them to stop? Well, it's not so easy. The one thing that's really worked for this family and they said it's made the biggest difference is having a slip leash on the dog. So having an unbridled, excited dog that knows no voice commands, doesn't have any any kind of stay training and is just allowed to play and then it's like a, you know, it's like dancing with the stars whenever they walk in the door. The dog's just getting twirled around in the air because everybody's happy. You're going to build tons of excitement, okay? Yes, this dog has all the other things that go with it too, the excitement peeing and the excited nipping. Oh, but wow. they kind of like that, <laughs> I guess, right? So <laughs> so the, the, the both of those things are starting to go away. But having a leash on the dog is really good. One thing I saw this week that I think could bring you guys some value whenever you're whenever you guys are like whenever somebody comes home if it's your husband if it's your wife if it's your kids coming home and your dog tends to get excited I want you to take a good look down at your floor a lot of y'all's homes will have a mixture of some wood will have some tile will have some carpet you guys have rugs you maybe you have place beds like we do and as you're looking at this you can actually use those different textures to set some boundaries together with the leash, so that way the dog knows that hey, whenever you know Fred comes home, mm-hmm. that I'm going to have to stay on the wood in the dining room and off the tile that's in the entryway mm-hmm. to be able uh, to be able to actually get access to him in the future. So that's that's one tip. Here's another tip that just crossed in my head. When you actually bring the dog down and they're actually a little bit calmer, most people, for that first repetition, just want the dogs to become more, uh, more excited. So, Gabby's acting up a little bit. Hey, go to your bed. Go to your bed. Lay down. Hey, lay down.
1: Dude, that's a pretty leash. That
0: is a pretty leash. Gabby, lay down.
1: Is she oh. that right?
0: Yeah. Just relax.
1: So I want, I, want
0: you, I, want, I want you to see some, I'm interacting with Gabby right now. She was pretty, ex, she was pretty excited. But if you notice the way that I started, that I started to deal with her is I told her to do something that she knows. Okay. She's over here right off the set. And, and then when I started talking to her, you'll probably notice that the tone of my, like, hey, hey, relax. So the tone of my voice came down to kind of, to kind of help her to not be, to not be so riled up. Okay. Calming a dog. And this is really like, you know, you get, you get home, your dog's excited. Gabby is excited right now. She's kind of whining over there. Maybe something's going on. Maybe we'll go, I'll go take a look at her, see what's going on with her here in a minute. But you know, you got to have skills like the place. You got to be able to look at those boundaries. We had a leash on Gabby. I'm using psychological control because she has that much control. Okay. But you want to help your dog to understand. And then you yourself have to actually become calm in that circumstance. You can't You can't freak out. Mm -hmm. If you start getting excited and you start coming up and you start yelling, then you got no chance. And look, I I know that's not easy. Like you guys see me and it's like, oh man, you make it look so easy. And then you try to do it and it's kind of hard. So practicing calmness for yourself, taking deep breaths, taking larger body language, Mm -hmm. being real patient with yourself. Um, and then start practicing things so that way you don't lose your mind with your dog. So, you know, be calm. Be calm yourself uh, so that way you can calm your dog. Um, and then once your dog is calm, then you can go and you can make a little bit of excitement. Okay? So, yeah. That's good. Okay. Next.
1: Next is, uh, what are three reasons my dog keeps pulling on the leash?
0: Okay. So... So the first thing that I can think of of why dogs keep pulling on a leash, and I'm not trying to be a smart ass, is because we let them. So you put a leash and a collar on them, and then you begin to let them pull. Here's a tip for puppy owners, okay? If you just got your puppy, don't go put a collar on your puppy first thing. What I actually do when I get puppies is I put these little cheap, you know, like $5 harnesses on the dogs, and I let them pull me everywhere, but I'm letting them pull me with chest pressure. What I don't let the dogs do is I don't put a collar and begin to teach them that they can pull me on a collar. Matter of fact, like Gabby's pretty strong. Um, when I put a collar on her neck, she immediately limits herself. And that's because she didn't really see a collar and the first part of her, like the first part of her life or, at least, you know, the first year of her life, it was always trying to keep her neck sensitive. So one is don't go with your dog as they began to pull. And that's going to create a problem for you because how do you actually get anywhere if your dog's out in front, you need to get to the direction that they're pulling and they're moving with you. Well, you know, now you're going to have to actually set a different direction. The second reason that your dog is pulling is because they don't know, and this is the thing that I'm trying to teach in training, your dog doesn't know the value of of being on your left-hand side. If you think about a dog, they're a lot like us. Wherever our heads are pointed, wherever our eyes are looking, we're aiming and we're moving in that direction, okay? If you watch videos of trained dogs along with my dogs, you're going to see that their head is not necessarily pointing forward, but their head is more often than not pointing up at their owner. And that's a function of training, okay? No untrained dog ever looks skyward just for the hell of it. The dog is going to look up because there's been some kind of repetitive reinforcing process that shows the dog that looking up is a good thing. If you watch me in the videos of where I'm actually working dogs, you're going to routinely see me with, a, with the dog's food pouch on the left-hand side, and you're going to see I'm going to put food in my hand and come down my hip and feed the dog to get them to, to, get, them to get that whole thing with their head stuck up. So reason number one that your dog pulls is you let them reason number two that your dog pulls okay is because they're or they won't stop pulling on the leash is because you haven't shown the value of the left hand side and the final reason behind those two the reason that your dog continues to pull okay is because you haven't told the dog that getting to the end of the line is not worth it so at some point, you're going to have to tell the dog that the leash being tight is not a thing that you want to do because that creates problems in our relationship. So you should look at those three things. Number one, don't let them pull you. Number two, please show them the value of your left-hand side. And then step th- and then number three, show them that to be at the end of the leash is not a place that they want to be. Okay, I think that yep. works. Yeah? Yep. Okay.
1: Okay, next is how do you train your dogs to protect you?
0: Okay, so this is a really good this is a really good question. And actually I I, I rephrased it from the question that we get. So you know what question that I got? No. Like how, how do you train your dogs to attack? Oh. You know, like so like I don't like the question, but like mm-hmm. I, I guess I could go over it for a second. Like I don't I don't like answering the question like how do you train your dogs to attack? Because it's just not so simple. It's not so simple to me. Like, how do you train your dog to attack? Now, I do train my dogs to protect me, and you know that's even debatable because we do we do sport protection work, which is very similar to real protection work, but we do it on equipment all the time. We're constantly on equipment. We're not allowing the dogs to have live bites. So here's some things to consider if you want to, if you want your dog to protect you. One. Do you have, uh, have you selected a dog breed that's capable of that? Two, is the dog that you selected come from a, uh, have a pedigree that says that their parents, their grandparents and their great grandparents have been capable of doing that kind of work? So one, pick a breed, okay, that has a history of doing that too select a breeder or a puppy that has the background, the pedigree that proves that they can do it. And then the next thing that you can do is get someone to help you train the dog that has experience training those types of dogs and that they can show you videographic proof okay, of them doing that or that they can actually show you in person of the dog being able to do that. On this third one, I wanna add a little bit of value there. When you're looking at somebody that can actually protection train their dog, it's not about the bites and the grips and the launches. It really is, can the person verbally control that dog with just their voice commands and get the dog to do all the things? Can they get the dog to move together with the owner? Can, or, they, or can they get their dog to move together with them? Can they get the dog to bark at the other person? Can they send their dog at the, at the bad guy to, you know, to bite with a full grip? And can they get the dog to let go when they say the command once? If you're considering a dog trainer to help you protection train your dog and they can't show you that their dogs can do those four things, um, then you shouldn't do protection training with them. And you shouldn't do protection training with a dog that isn't suited for the work. You could get a dog and some guy could tell you that, hey, I can protection train your dog. I don't have a lot of experience, but I can prove it to you. Be very, very careful because you can really psychologically put your dog in a pretty bad position.
1: Okay, Okay, good answer. Thanks. All right. Um, my, My dog always acts up the moment I get on the phone. What can I do?
0: Well, you can maybe not talk to humans anymore. Because That's what kids
1: do. That's yeah. That's exactly what kids do.
0: Yeah. And, you know, and so, Gerda, if you're watching this, this is really for you because I know that every time that you and I get on the phone, that this is when uh, your two shepherds ten, tend to act up. And so, Gerda, I love you. You know that. But, look, you know, I th- and she did this the other day on the phone, if I recollect correctly, is that... You know, she actually sent them to their places when we got on. When we got on the phone, look, like, I I think that if you're going to do this, if your dog is interrupting you, or your kids are interrupting you every time that you get on the phone, you need to put them on the couch and tell them to be quiet and maybe give them something to do. Yeah, I think that's I it. I just think, lock
1: myself in my yeah. Well, you can lock <laughs> yeah, okay. So you can lock yourself in the
0: bath. You know, like, and it's just funny because I think about this as kids how I used to have like the 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 cord coming you uh-huh. know out of the wall uh-huh. into the phone and it was like thirty five feet and you would be in the closet. Kids talking. today
1: <laughs> will never know.
0: Oh, you'll never know that man. Like you know that we have Snapchat uh-huh. and all this stuff now, <laughs> and so the texting disappears. But yeah, I used to be in the closet talking on the phone. I'm like, leave me alone when I'm in and here. Then, and
1: then your brother's listening from the kitchen. Oh my god, <laughs>
0: that's like the best. That's the best, right there. Yeah, now I remember those days. The party line, man. Yeah. That's like, that's, that's, all, that's right, the, all right, all right but so so like you know when when you get on the phone like you probably need to plan some phone calls because i always tell you guys you need to prat you need to teach and practice before you train what does that mean to teach means you need to give the dog the expectation of what is it that you actually want them to do so you have to show them that hey i want you to be here when i'm standing here so You know, Gabby knows that I want her to be over there as I'm sitting here talking to you guys, having a wonderful time tonight. The second thing is, is that then you need to start mimicking the circumstances where you're going to be doing that thing, like on the phone. And then you begin to practice and you begin to see like, where is it going to fall apart on us? And where can we help the dog to have a better understanding of what it is that we want them to do? And then after you've gone through that process, then you need to begin to live that out. Okay, so yeah, so yeah, that one.
1: What's been your biggest challenge in potty training?
0: Yeah, so my biggest challenge in potty training has been like, when, how do I determine um, when it's time to actually give my dog freedom to be able to, you know, to let them out of crates and let them out of playpens and let them just tell me when is it time for them to go? So what I've been thinking about is the thing that I want to see is I want to see that the puppy, when I take them to the back door, the door that gives them access to where I actually want them to use the restroom, that when they get to that back door, that they're actually pushing at the back door to go out, that I open it, and in the next 15, 25, 30 seconds, that they go to the area that they've been trained to go potty, and that they actually use the restroom. When I see the dog, probably a week consistently, like going to the door going out and using the restroom, then this probably is a really good indicator to me that, hey, I can begin to trust them to begin to tell me that they need to go to the restroom. I probably should add to that that maybe... Like maybe there shouldn't have been any accidents when I'm seeing that, that the dog is actually, you know, consistently going out the door and pushing out the door. A lot of people also ask me, and this is part of the question too, a lot of people ask me, like when should we start teaching the dog about the, about the bell that's on the door? Um, so probably when your dog will go to the door, you open the door, they go out and they use the restroom. The first time that they do that, that's probably when I would start introducing, teaching the dog to ring the bell, open the door, go out and potty. Mm -hmm. Uh, The process, if I want to make it real simple, is they would ring the bell, I'd open the door, I would praise the dog, and then they'd go out and I'd start repeating my command to go potty, to go potty over and over. And then as soon as they potted. I would do something meaningful and valuable for that specific dog. Okay, next. And, uh, yeah, and I think we're just going to do one more question. We've had plenty uh, plenty tonight. Mm -hmm. We've got a little bit of extra recording to do after the show. So, uh, yeah, let's get to this last one. All
1: right, we'll do – where did it go? Uh, What's the key to getting dogs to come reliably?
0: Yeah, in one word, if I could put it in one word – The answer to reliable recalls is practice, okay? But you probably guys already understood that, hey, I'm going to have to practice a lot. I tell folks all the time that training your dog to come and call means that you're going to have to bring an immense amount of value to the dog, whether it be through the treat toss game, two ball, playing fetch, playing tug with your dog, all those things are going to be really important for the dog, for you to be playing with your dog on a daily basis. I also think, as I said earlier, limiting the amount that your dog is playing with other dogs is going to be really beneficial in doing that. Uh, getting your dog exposure to the outside world uh, so that way they see other things when they're on their leash with you can actually mm-hmm. be a big deal. And then I think for me the, the finishing touches are going to be uh, some form of aversive uh, where they're going to be in a circumstance where they where they know to come and called. You've called for them, they clearly have chosen to not come. and then you do use an aversive to tell them that hey, you're not going to be allowed to do that. Um, what is an aversive if you don't know what that is? An aversive is, uh, you know for the common uh, common term, it is a correction for your dog. Uh, there can be a lot of different ways that you can correct the dogs, but your dog should be, Uh, corrected, specific for their temperament, not just what you're hearing on a YouTube video like mine. You should get to know your dog and know what actually corrects their behaviors. If you don't know, then I think that it's, it's every one of our responsibilities to know what actually works for correcting your own personal dog's behaviors because... No, but as you know as much experience as I have, there's no way that I can generalize and tell you what's the best way to correct your dog. So uh, just going back to uh, going back to uh, teaching dogs to reliably come, uh, a large amount of value for the dog coming to you, a good amount of exposure to the outside world when they're on a leash. And then finally, after you've done months and months of that, uh, that you do put them in a circumstance where you call them, uh, they choose not to come. And that you use an aversive specific to that dog to tell them that it is a mistake to not come when you ask. And I think that's the way that you actually go about building a reliable recall. I think I prefer to go slow myself. Why not take a year to do that? Um, It can be done quickly, but I'm just not a fan of going rapidly to teach the dog that. I really like when I call my dogs for it to be a thing of beauty. I love seeing my dogs sprint and their legs just flying mm-hmm. out, and it's just kind of this elegant thing. It's one of the reasons that I love dog trainings is to see dogs running under control, but at, with all their power. So, Well, hey, guys, uh, I, I guess that's it for the show. We re- really appreciate each and every one of you guys uh, that's watched this. Um, yeah, and I, I do have just a couple of things here. I brought these out because this is the, uh, the Echo Dot. Uh, I think now I've had two skills in the uh, in the alexa skill store uh for over a year now so i'm really excited about that they're doing really well i'm getting feedback from you guys that they're bringing you value from our daily dog training tips to also you know a lot of the questions that i asked to, that that i answered tonight actually came from people asking those questions on this device well hey that's all i've got for tonight and we'll be back in a couple of weeks take care thanks <laughs> Hey guys, it's Al. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast today. If you have any comments, you can reach me on Twitter. That's at AlTheDogTrainer. If you haven't already, it would mean so much if you would subscribe to my podcast. And if this was informational or useful in any way, I sure would appreciate if you would rate and review. You guys have a great day and we'll be talking to you.